Well, it's certainly been a big week for the Essendon Football Club and well beyond too, as its internal personnel matters turned into public messy audits of community codes and attitudes. This week, their new CEO, Andrew Thorburn, was appointed and then resigned within 24 hours, leaving in his wake divided opinion, to say the very least. Here's the thoughtful sports commentator, Malcolm Knox, writing yesterday in the Nine Papers. It's the intersection, call it a five-way pile-up, he said, of religion, free speech, minority rights, virtue signalling and sports washing, repeatedly coming together in the ugliest public collisions, benefiting precisely no one. Now, essentially, this is me now, not him, essentially... I think it boils down to whether a person can hold leadership positions in two organisations whose values aren't aligned. And my goodness has it ventilated passions and convictions, which we hope we can thread our way through with my two guests now. Leslie Cannold, who's the new program director for the Cranlana Centre for Ethical Leadership based in Melbourne. And John Roscombe is senior fellow at the IPA, who wrote a strong column yesterday in the Financial Review on this. Welcome to you both. Good morning, Geraldine. Um, Hello. Could I just hear from you both to distill at the start, what do you personally think is the central question that's emerged from this brew? First to you, Leslie. Um, Geraldine, I actually really agree with you that I think it's about this um, these notions of corporate governance. You know, I think we've been pushing very hard for for there to be better um, ethical and uh, sort of organisational values and um, adherence to values in, in corporations and one one clear issue is about conflict of duty, about people being aware that they may have conflicts and being able to declare them and being able to either resolve them, um, one well, resolve them one way or another, either by setting up firewalls or by, you know, getting rid of one of the positions that, that causes a conflict. Um, and I think that's what's happened here. Unfortunately, in the sort of bright light of day, um, usually that would happen in the background, is that those sort of discussions would go on. But that that's essentially what I think has happened, is that either Essendon and or um, Andrew Thornburn have decided that he had a standing conflict that couldn't be resolved, um, and therefore he, he had to decide which which uh, role he was going to stick with, and he decided to stick with his okay. uh, other role. John, what do you think? Well, I'd share those views, but I'd go further and I'd say in relation to what Leslie said about conflicts of interest, can a person of faith in Australia today hold a public leadership position? And the point that I made, Geraldine, in the article that you mentioned is that for all of the discussion about diversity and tolerance in Australia, we've actually become less diverse and less tolerant that uh, matters of faith are now questions of politics, of public debate, uh, and whether a person like Andrew Thorburn, who holds what was once regarded as traditionally orthodox Christian views on abortion and homosexuality, uh, can lead a, a football club. And the other point that I made is this is not just about Essendon, this is about religion in the public square in Australia, because... Uh, we had not just uh, Andrew Thorburn 
and the controversy relating to him, but um, the the female uh, AFLW uh, football player, um, Hanin Zika, who had to stand aside because she didn't want to wear a jumper uh, that conflicted with her religious views. So I think it's, yes, it's an issue about corporate responsibility and conflict of interest, but it's about religion, freedom, speech and the culture in Australia at the moment. You say ultimately the personal has become political. That's what really emerges out of this. Yes. Mm. Uh, okay. So, uh, Leslie, um, do you believe that, in effect, uh, there should have been better uh, assistance given to the to Essendon uh, or Ernst and Young, who were assisting them with the with the recruitment process, that this sort of potential issue? should have been dealt with behind the scenes before it came into the public eye, does it suggest they didn't think that they didn't think there was a problem with this? Well, yes. I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm the new head of program, so I've actually just been through kind of a modern, um, you know, hiring process. And it is extremely standard to be asked if you are taking on a leadership role um, where you're going to have to articulate and implement um, a company's uh, primary mission and values, whether or not you have anything that is going to pose a conflict in you doing that. And that might be another role. That might be a family relationship. I mean, you know, some of, some of the things that could cause a conflict you choose, some of those things you don't choose. Um, but either way, it is very much the obligation of a modern organization to ask those questions. This is a football club. This is a football club, Leslie. Though. Well, of, of <laughs> course. Football it doesn't actually educate people in ethics. No, but, but in some ways, I think that's what I think that's what John is saying is kind of what's changing and he's not so comfortable with. I think, I think that, you know, the banks haven't been doing that and, and, um, Thorburn was very much involved in kind of that. But I think there is a move for, um, older institutions that may have not, well, we know they haven't been running according to these more modern notions of governance to, to start doing those things, to start thinking about what it is that is going to enable somebody in leadership to succeed and be seen and perceived as succeeding and and sincerely implementing the codes and values of an organization. That's what a leader's job is. So if you're not asking them, is there going to be anything in the way of you doing that, then you're not really doing your job. John, I think this is exactly what bothers you because I think you believe that inexorably leads to a narrower range of attitudes sitting at the top of various organisations. That's right. And I think Leslie's put her finger on the modern challenge. This is not a conflict of interest, as if Andrew Thorburn had been a lifelong Collingwood supporter. Um, Leslie's right. Increasingly, we are expecting our corporations, our civil organisations, our football clubs to be moral arbiters on controversial and difficult questions such as these are, where society's attitudes are changing and developing. And my argument is that I'm not sure there's a place for football clubs to be arbiters on abortion. There has to be room for us to agree, to disagree. We will always be working with people whose political positions we don't share or whose personal beliefs we don't share. But what I see is a narrowing of that scope for difference. And I think Leslie is right. And this was the public outcry down here 
in Melbourne that his perceived values on Christianity and orthodox Christian views were seen to be out of step with the views of some supporters. But for me then, we run the risk of uh, perhaps a creeping ideological authoritarianism whereby in all our public positions we have to agree with what is perceived to be an orthodox public he, view. He was in that's a le- quite dangerous. He was in a leadership role. He wasn't just a member, though. He was in a leadership role, wasn't he? In, in- yeah, yeah, he was. You're, you're right. He was the chairman of a network of Anglican churches, and as you identified in your introduction, he was basically forced out because of a, a sermon that had been preached some years ago by one of the church's ministers. But the other point about Andrew Thorburn is that as the CEO of NAB, he led a number of diversity initiatives. No one has ever been able to say uh, that in the public performance of his duties, uh, he was anything other than welcoming of, of people of all sexualities and genders. So the question, as I pointed out again in my article, uh, notwithstanding all the public good that he did because of a personal belief, he was asked to resign. Leslie? Yeah, look, I I kind of I think we're we're in the dark a little bit and about some of the things that in this moral issue really do matter. So it really does matter what that conversation was that, you know, should have rightly and and does take place behind closed doors, but now that it's in the public sphere, we all kind of want to know things about it that in fact, we don't know. But from what we can see in what's in the public domain is that he wasn't forced to do anything. What he was asked to do um, was to consider whether or not he had a conflict. And it may be that Essendon, again, I just don't know what happened, but it may be that Essendon saw um, a conflict in terms of its expressed values, also its legal obligations. So corporations don't exist in some vacuum where they um, are, as, as John said, arbit- you know, just kind of stepping in and, and freewheelingly arbitrating difficult, controversial issues. Of course, they're not doing that and they don't want to do that. But we are, as a society, moving into spaces where corporations have legal obligations and they're expected to carry them out. So you have anti-discrimination requirements and then you also have missions and values that they might voluntarily adopt around equity and diversity, say. And so it might have been the case that they said to him something along the lines of, look, you could get into a really sticky position here. You could be on on uh, one morning being asked to defend, say, a new government initiative about equity and diversity because we at the club, you know, want to endorse and, and respect those sorts of things. And then in the afternoon, as the as the speaker for your church, you could be condemning the, the absolutely same legal or or um, social change. So well, how how are you you need to sorry sorry Geraldine, I just think it's important. You need to give an account of how you're going to do that. And then it's up to the two people to decide whether or not his ability to do that is something that would pass the sniff test with all of the organization's stakeholders and the public, or whether or not they, he or the organization feel that that is just going to be too divisive for him internally or too divisive in terms of how people understand well, him. interestingly, like we've got um, Bruce Taggart has texted, which is with an interesting sort of um, permutation of this. Um, mm. 
how would City on the Hill have reacted, the church, if Andrew Thorburn took on another role as director of the gay Mardi Gras or as an abortion <laughs> provider? <laughs> John, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's very cute. It, I mean, it's not cute at all. It's, it's challenging, this, isn't it? And might I add, you know, I think everybody sort of slightly overlooked, Essendon Football Club has been an amazing organisation for many years, particularly with the promotion of Indigenous players. I mean, absolutely exemplary. And there are lots of people who, who are members of that club who are, it's a vital institution in their lives. I, I think it's, that's somewhat been forgotten here. Well, it's also a vital institution in the lives of Christians and, and people of faith. Uh, and as Leslie was saying, uh, we now face the, the challenge of as our social institutions are taking on what I would regard as political questions, to what scope is there for people who have different personal views participating in that? Leslie is right. Football clubs have been at the forefront of social change and in many ways that's been a good thing. But does that mean now that people of faith, whether in a business or a football club, uh, are not able to to lead those organisations? And I think there's another point, which is uh, many of the questions that Leslie suggests the football club should have asked Andrew Thorburn, uh, some lawyers have argued, might in fact have been against the law because it is illegal to discriminate on the basis of religion. You can in some circumstances... Religious schools are given exemptions. And so we also have to distinguish things where your religion or your political beliefs are inexorable to the position and other organisations which we might call a safe space where there is room for disagreement and room for difference. And I'd argue a football club is one of those places because sport has been traditionally the great unifier across politics, across class, across gender, across religion. Now what we risk is that safe space where Australians of different backgrounds could come together is now being eliminated as football clubs are expected to enforce a political orthodoxy. Now, Leslie, uh, Ida Buttrose, my own chair, was on the radio yesterday saying in, uh, that in a lot of these things were private before, personal faith, personal attitudes. They were regarded as private and this has been absolutely blown apart in ways I haven't seen for quite a while with this. Do you welcome that or not? It could be seen to be, you know, bringing things out into the open or it could be seen to do quite the reverse. Well, again, I guess I really don't see this as as somebody, you know, at calling somebody in. And first of all, again, we're talking about a leader. We're not talking about, you know, somebody who's being employed at a lower level and being um, asked about whether or not, you know, they feel that they can align with every single thing in a corporate state of mission and values. But I think we do agree, just as John said, in terms of the religious schools, that if, you know, there's an organization that has a purpose. So, for instance, I work for Mary Stopes International, which provides uh, reproductive and abortion care. So they ask the question, do you support reproductive and abortion care? Because they rightly feel, I think, that it's going to be extremely difficult for someone to provide that sort of care if they actually don't believe in the central mission and, and design of, of what the organization is doing. So I think it's a very legitimate question that you ask just people normally. Um, in terms of, you know, is this 
can you do your job? And it's about also looking after people's own well-being because there's a couple of different problems that happen if you are being forced to wear two hats or being servant to two masters. These are ideas we see even in the Bible. So they go back a long way where people have been concerned about this. And you're concerned about it both for the individual and their own personal integrity and their own ability to kind of reconcile being asked to do something constantly day after day that's against their moral um, and and social or political or religious commitments. That's a problem for them. Yes. But it's also a problem if you're a leader for the stakeholders of an organization because democratic processes or whatever processes have gone on to d- decide how we're going to comply with the law and move forward as an organization, you need to feel that the leader is not going to be torn to shreds True, internally. But you also want variety. We, you also want variety. Like I noticed Anthony Seggett, I think, writing in The Age, um, a reporter who is a man of, of some faith. It, it wonders when it's coming in. You know, he said, he knows this is a little bit paranoid, but my gosh, when are they come for me? He said, if, if, if this starts to become a sort of test on whether you have some form of um, faith belief that might be objectionable to other people, but not to yourself. It, 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 I mean, does it but actually, are, oh, does it favour people holding mm. views, which allegedly we want in our diverse workforces? I guess my my issue is, for one, I think, like I said, these need to be discussions that happen in an open way, in the sense of, I'm not telling you, you can't believe this and also have this job, but rather, I'm wondering if there is a conflict of duty here, whether or not okay. your obligations to this organization might conflict with your obligations to this organization. Do you think that? And if you do think that, how do you think that will be perceived? Okay. How are you going to feel about it? How are our stakeholders going to feel about it? Can it be resolved? So it depends if on your so, answer. How if, can it be resolved? If you can answer that, you say, okay, you might go forward. and po- Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, John, um, we, one of our texts has come through saying, Goodness, Geraldine, sport does instruct people in ethics, sportsmanship, teamwork, fair play, role models. The implication being, why shouldn't, you know, football clubs are a perfect place to sort some of these things out? Well, I'm not sure they are. That what's happened here now is that football clubs are expected to take a position on moral issues. I think a discussion about reproductive health at a football club is very different uh, from the behaviour on a sporting field. And what I fear is that our organisations of civil society increasingly taking on these positions and society is demanding that they take on these positions um, as they are increasingly secular positions will disqualify people of faith from leadership roles. And Leslie is correct. Certainly the debate in one of the aspects of the debate in Victoria has been this conflict of interest. Now, I don't believe there is a conflict of interest between a uh, Christian leading a football club. We are expecting football clubs and social organisations to do too much and that is going to crowd out those who have different views. What about corporations, for instance, hammering their colours to the mask of anti-slavery, say, and refugees, even homelessness, which is a sort of a growing discussion here? In in the US, I understand some corporations are offering to pay for their female employees to access abortion services in other states. So they've entered that particular political brew. So th- this is not exactly straightforward these days, is it, John? No, it isn't because 
um, employees are expecting businesses to take political positions. Absolutely, uh, this is a growing demand of a, of a younger workforce uh, as uh, we become more secular and as people wish to express their political views, not just perhaps through membership of a political party, but through the workplace. And I think this is uh, a dangerous and difficult development whereby organisations where you work take a political position here in Australia. Uh, many businesses uh, have taken a position on the voice and I can understand that. But from my perspective, there are also good arguments against the voice. Mm. But when we have businesses taking, I think, overtly political positions, it makes it difficult for those who disagree with those to be in that corporation. And what we're doing, rather than narrowing the scope of difference so that we can get along as we increasingly disagree with each other in a polarised society, we are polarising our debate. And that's one of the things that Daniel Andrews, as the Victorian Premier, did. We are going down a American path of difference and disagreement, which I think uh, should not be welcomed. Do we want to close Pandora's box or not? Like judging by the, the text coming through, no, we don't. And look, thank you both very much indeed for wrestling with this. Not an easy one. I really do thank you. Leslie Cannell, thank you to you. Oh, thanks, Geraldine. It was a pleasure being on. And uh, John Roscombe, thank you to you. Thank you, Geraldine. Thank you, Leslie. And Take care, um, John. We'll, we'll just continue, no doubt, to receive your texts on this. Look, it is a, it's a thorny one. Forces us to uh, think hard.